0: Lord, I don't see anyone else coming in, so this is it. Let us pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we give you great thanks for your mercy and your grace, and Lord, for sending us out to do the work uh, that you've called us to do, that you use even us, um, wounded, uh, broken uh, people, in order to share the life-changing gospel, uh, you, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going through these little heart things. Uh, and Charles Gaston already wants to put a little cute thing up on the website that you know, like four little hearts or something like that, and, um, you know, one of the, I can say this now, but one of the things that uh, frustrated Frank so much is that anytime he tried to do something cute, people were offended by it, and so he'd be like, if Paul Zoll did it, everyone would think it was so funny and so endearing, but i do it, and everyone thinks it's weird, so, (laughs) I can say that, um, Uh, but, uh, we're going through the hearts one last week. We talked about that. This is a uh, congregation that has a heart for the gospel. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about uh, a heart for those who have never heard the gospel. And then we're going to talk about a heart for those who've been broken by the church. And then we're going to talk about a heart for the city of Birmingham. Uh, and these are not things that, that I've come up with or that I've sat down and said this is my four-pronged strategy for the Advent. It's not that. This is just what we're doing. Uh, but there's just so much going on here at the Advent that it's really hard to get a grasp on what's what's happening. And uh, even people who are regular here who have been here for years, uh, if you ask, well, what, what's going on? It's a hard question to answer and legitimately can say, I'm not really sure. Uh, but we do meet on Sunday mornings, and there's lots of stuff going on. Hope you get involved. Uh, but one of the things that the Advent has been uh, involved in through the years has been uh, mission and outreach. And there's a difference uh, between mission and outreach, and I want to draw that distinction. Uh, outreach is uh, geared toward uh, those around us and those in the world uh, that, that need help. Right? So uh, you may not know this. We have a very large human needs fund. Uh, and, of course, we all joke around like when somebody says, well, who's going to buy the beer for the vestry party? And goes, human needs, uh, because it's a large account. And um, uh, But uh, that fund helps uh, keep lights on. It helps uh, pay people's uh, gas bills. It, it helps uh, people who, uh, during the recent cold spell, uh, we put people up in hotel rooms that, that couldn't afford to uh, – to to be someplace warm we uh, will uh, we've even gone so far as is uh, replacing heating units in people's homes uh, whatever it is um, we're there we've helped uh, there was a, a guy who was homeless recently who's uh, who had uh, I think his mom died and uh, we bought him a round trip bus ticket um, to get to his mom's funeral and some spending and some and set him up with a hotel while he was there so we do that and uh, that's not something that That we normally publicize because how do you how do you publicize that Uh, probably the only person who knows is uh, the accountant with uh, Cade and Crenshaw uh, that audits our books and so they get to see that but um, we're very big on on that uh, and also abroad you know going into a village I used to be involved in a ministry called solar light for Africa and what the ministry did is it brought solar power to villages that didn't have electricity in Africa right that would be outreach right digging a well Um, building a school, things like that, Um, tornado recovery. Uh, Mission, uh, which goes hand-in-hand with mission outreach, I don't want to separate the two because they really are part and parcel of one thing, and we're going to get to that. Uh, Mission is actually what Jesus says in the Great Commission. So looking at two passages of Scripture, Jesus' last words to his disciples, two passages, one Matthew 28 and the other Acts 1. Jesus says to his disciples, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So clearly, and in Jesus' ministry, 70, sending out the 70, two by two, to they um, they went out and, and they were preaching the gospel to different places. So this whole idea of sending and going beyond your walls to preach the gospel is important. It's important. Um, around the world today, uh, there are um, uh, places who still have never heard the gospel, but also even here in Birmingham, Alabama, believe it or not. But the most, for the most part, I feel like in the 20th century, what the church has done, especially the latter part of the 20th century, is come to church and we'll tell you about Jesus. And even then, it was kind of a roll of the dice. So come to church and we'll tell you about Jesus. And um, and so you're bringing them into foreign territory where they probably. And I, I love the liturgy at the Advent. But if you did not grow up in the Episcopal Church, you basically need a Tibetan Sherpa to get you through the liturgy. Right? It's, it's tough. You don't know when to stand. You need multiple books. I know that there are hymn boards, but they're like hard to decipher. For all they know, they are lottery numbers to play. And uh, like the rector recommends. Who knows what's going on? And, and so for them, there's a sense of unease and there's a sense of otherness that's not healthy. There's always a sense of otherness that is healthy, the transcendence of God. But this sense of otherness, they feel out of place and they're more worried about, am I doing the right thing? Am I looking the right part? Than they are about what's actually being communicated, which is the good news of God in Jesus Christ of what God has done for this person through Jesus. Uh, so uh, I think Jesus knew that. And so that's why Jesus said, Go, therefore, right? Uh, Get out. Go and and meet people where they are in their lives. And that's what Jesus did in his entire ministry. Uh, Not once will you ever hear Jesus saying, Hey, I'm going to be preaching at the synagogue in Capernaum this Sunday. Why don't you come and and take a listen? We're having a potluck afterwards. The pita's very good, it'll be fantastic. Not once do you hear that, but over and over again, you have Jesus eating and meeting in people's homes, right? So Zacchaeus being a great example of that, Zacchaeus up in the tree. Everybody hates Zacchaeus, and Jesus looks up and sees Zacchaeus, and he says, uh, let's go to your house. That's where, uh, let me go to your house. Let me go to your turf. Let me meet you uh, where you are. Now, that's hard for Christians in general. It's really hard for clergy specifically. Right, because most clergy are introverts. Right? They would rather die than go to Zacchaeus' house. It's awkward, and uh, they they won't do it. I'm an exception to that. Uh, if you invite me over to your home, I'm coming. right? <laughs> uh, but Jesus actually invited himself uh, over to your home. Some of you, I know, are very good cooks, and so if I come up to you and say, today I'm going to your house for lunch. Uh, just be ready for that. Um, but most clergy are, are introverts, and... Even when I started, there was an intimidation in me for me for preaching. Uh, I wear contact lenses now, but I used to just wear glasses. And when I would preach, I only needed them to see far away. So I would take them off when I preached as a way to get over any intimidation of preaching in front of a congregation. So when I looked, I saw my my notes, but when I looked out, I saw this amorphous blob. Right? <laughs> and it was a lot easier preaching to the blob than, than uh, but I realized that one, uh, I'm not preaching to a blob. I'm, I'm preaching to people, and also there's a dynamic that happens in preaching that I actually, I actually make eye contact with with many of you, um, and and there's there's some communication going on. Whether you're you're not doing it verbally, I hope, although that has happened to me before. Uh, But but non-verbally, you're communicating with me. And so we're actually having a conversation uh, when I preach. And that actually makes preaching, yes, it does make it a little bit harder for me. uh, Because I look out in the congregation, and I see you, and I know you. And in some cases, I know what you're dealing with. So um, that's what made it. I think I've told you the story of my last Sunday at St. Helena's when um, at they had a, a reception for me afterwards. And uh, one of the things that they remarked upon, they said, Andrew, you know, you, you actually look at the congregation a lot during your sermon. Was that really hard for you on your last Sunday preaching to make eye contact with, with people that you, you may never see again this side of heaven? I said, actually, it wasn't, because I only looked at the people I knew I wouldn't miss. Um, <laughs> That wasn't true, but um, but it was kind of funny. Uh, so uh, there's a sense of uh, not a sense. There's a, there's clearly Jesus is saying, I want you to go out and I want you to meet people uh, where they are. And in any of the great revivals in the church, that what that's exactly what was happening. So even if you start in the New Testament with Paul and his missionary journeys, nobody ever said, you know, we'll just you know we could set up something here in Jerusalem. You know, we'll have uh, you know. We'll bring them here for retreats and things like that, but they went out. There was a going out. All of the disciples, now apostles, uh, went out with few exceptions. There had to be people in Jerusalem in order to preach the gospel, but Paul most especially. And they went where the people were. Paul, normally when he would get to a place, the first place he would go was to the synagogues, right? The idea in the early church missionally was that you would go to the Jews first, and then you would go to the Gentiles. And... Uh, but even in in places like Athens, when Paul went up on Mars Hill and preached from the Areopagus, uh, he was meeting people uh, where they are, and the early church met in people 's homes and it 's a lot easier to invite someone to a home uh, than it is to an ecclesiastical structure and so the The ministry that happened in the early church was very relational right it was built on relationships. When you read Paul's letters, it's not, I went and I did a preaching mission amongst you and and then I left. But he names names. Uh, he talks about uh, people and what they've done and in their service to the gospel and their commitment to the Lord Jesus and, and how much he loves them. This especially comes through if you read Second Timothy, which is Paul's last letter, uh, and it's to his closest friend and, and protege, Timothy, and you can uh, tell just if you really read it uh, that the the scroll was probably tear stained uh, from Paul pouring out his heart. Uh, that being his last letter, and knowing he probably would never see Timothy again on this side. So, but moving even moving forward uh, during the Reformation, uh, Luther had a certain earthiness to him that uh, made him very accessible to a certain crowd, but. Uh, But it was all about accessibility and translating the Bible into German and uh, meeting people. Luther was actually pretty accessible when he was not in hiding from being murdered, uh, but when he was out in public, he was. And then into the great evangelical revivals in England uh, under people like Wesley and Whitfield and uh, here in America in the Great Awakening when Whitfield came over and um, Edwards and, and others that uh, they went and they preached amongst the people. They, uh, Wesley was known to preach at the opening of coal mines where the shaft would open. He would preach to the workers as they would come out uh, at night and uh, would go and preach in open fields. and. Uh, Funny enough, they've built some churches where Wesley used to preach and the, that, are, that are no longer there. And you see this, you don't see this in the Episcopal Church very often, but uh, if you're on the East Coast, especially in Virginia and North Carolina, Maryland, Delaware, uh, places like that, uh, South Carolina, you'll be driving down some dirt road, and then all of a sudden, there's a Methodist church or a Baptist church, and you think, what in the world? Is, it just doesn't look right. It's at the bend in the road. Uh, but what you realize is that there used to be a stump there that in the 17 or 1800s, a traveling itinerant minister would come through on, any, on a designated day, would preach on the stump, and then he would leave, and they say, you know, we ought to build a building around that stump. And that's what they did. And so there was a constant going out and meeting people where they are, being in li- involved in the lives of the people uh, around them, and that was certainly how Jesus did mission. He did it through relationships. And so, when Jesus says in Acts 1, uh, to go into Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth, uh, Jesus is giving the church a blueprint for how uh, the church ought to do mission. Uh, beginning in Jerusalem, our Birmingham, and going out uh from Jerusalem, Birmingham, uh, to Alabama, to the United States, and beyond. I think that a lot of us take for granted that, especially in the South, that everybody has just heard the gospel. But I mentioned this last time. The thing about the gospel is you never know when it's going to take root in somebody's heart and the means or the method by which it's going to be able to break through and and touch somebody. Um, Jesus said it, a prophet is never honored in their hometown, and so if you're anything like me, the most difficult group to witness to or to share the gospel with or just be a Christian around is who? Family. Your family, right. They just, it's like water on a rock. They they just, they don't want to hear it. And to, to give you a parallel, have you ever said anything to your spouse and said, you know, you might want to consider this, this might be helpful to you, and you might have been saying it for years, and then you're at a dinner party one night, and some friend says the same exact thing you've been saying for years and then the spouse says you know that's a good idea You're like what what i've been saying that for years well uh the human heart is 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 no different toward the gospel uh that it's still very hard Uh, i got a card the other day from um uh my home congregation growing up uh sort of saying congratulations on on the advent and it was funny to see the little notes that each of the vestry members signed, most of the names I recognized, and most, I mean, the people who really knew me basically said, we never thought it possible or even permissible. <laughs> so, uh, it's hard. It's hard to go back, and one of my greatest fears is to go back into that little church and preach because uh, there's there's baggage, and it may not necessarily be bad baggage, but in your family, you, you can't help but relate to people really based upon the past, right? It's hard to see somebody differently. And so you probably have family members that are around you that relate to you the way you, as if you're still a child. Or the, the, their conversations with you will be about high school things. Like, oh, how's old so-and-so? I haven't talked to him since high, but that's that's all that they know. And there's a sense and a sadness in some families that the people that, that you ought to be closest to, there's a great barrier uh, erected. And it feels like, you don't really know me. And if you're a Christian and they're not, then they, they don't really know you. They don't know you to the bottom. They can't relate to you on a, on a deeper level. And in all of us, there is a sense that I, I, I would hope that we want to share the gospel with our family members and our friends. But the question is, how do you do it without seeming like a total and complete jerk, right? And, and being totally like you're intruding on a situation. Uh, And and I've been in situations where you can tell that the Christian in the family is just waiting. It's like the conversation, and everybody else is bracing for it. And it's normally, you know, once everyone's begun to push back from the Thanksgiving table, it's like, and now the gospel, right? And that's when everybody either checks out or uh, you get into a big fight. And yet, um, one of the things is just putting it out there, And letting it do its work and one of the things I pray is always that that God would lead people into their lives that will water those seeds and come alongside them right and be a friend to a Christian to be a friend to them and and to be around them but also one of the things that that the world often gets wrong and even the church is that evangelism or witnessing or mission is not simply about fire insurance right it's not about going to a place like, we're here so that you don't go to hell. Right? That, that, that's part of it. We want them to have eternal fellowship with God. I want to see my loved ones in heaven. Absolutely. But Jesus in his ministry and his salvation plan is holistic. Right? Jesus doesn't see us as spiritual statistics that are simply in need of saving after death. But when Jesus talks about salvation and when the Bible talks about salvation, salvation is now. Right? It's not when you die. But it's even now. That's why Jesus would say things like, "I have come that they might have life, and life to the full." Right, full life now. Not just that. Jesus, when the, during the feeding uh, of, of the thousands, uh, that situation, remember with Philip and um, and Andrew, uh, where Jesus said, "You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat." So he didn't look out and say. You just need Jesus. I mean, if you were to go to a hungry person and say, would you like Jesus or a bag of groceries, what are they going to say? Bag of groceries. And how can you blame them? How can you blame them? But Jesus is not seeing them simply, again, as a spiritual statistic, uh, but a whole person who is in need of whole salvation, who is in need to be loved wholly. So it's not as if Jesus is just interested in the spiritual aspects of your life. He's interested in the total you. He's interested in you as a person. He's interested in your relationships, your marriage, your relationship with your parents, your children, your coworkers. Uh, the whole—he's—he's g- he's interested in—and in honestly, what—what what you're interested in. Right? There are times when I'll be praying something and I'll think, "Well, God's not interested in this," when in fact He is. Um, this happens here at the Advent sometimes, but not as much because y'all have been trained well. Um, at you know, we start basically the nine o'clock service at eight fifty-nine. And you know that. Uh, it's annoying, but that's just the way it is. And um, the old church, St. Helena's, that I was at, uh, Beaufort is on an island, and the main way to get uh, from the other islands to that one is, there's a swing bridge. right? If you've ever been in Beaufort, if you don't live in Beaufort, you think it's quaint and neat. If you live in Beaufort, you hate it. right? You hate it, and you want to blow it up. It would be better just to have a ferry, honestly. So You always knew when the bridge was open because during the first hymn or during the God, like you'd have this flood of people coming in, or like at the last minute you have families tearing in, knowing that they left in plenty of time, but they caught the bridge. They caught the bridge, and I could just see these families, and like the the mom would just be, you know, just kind of. Disheveled and like we gotta get. We left early. Why aren't we on time? And Dad is just kind of like trying to bring up the rear. And they get and you can tell Mom is sort of swatting the kids down and like you know it's time to be Christians. You know right? <laughs> it's time. Get focused. You can you can see it. Get focused. It's time to be focused on God. I'm gonna focus you. You know. I'm, <laughs> Uh, it's those things, and I see it here. I see, you know, especially if you have young boys, uh, you are the referee in church, and I see lots of reach-overs like this and grabbing. And, and there's a sense that when we get into church, it's, it's time to focus. And, and normally, it's a good thing to pray when you get in the pew. Uh, Lord, direct our thoughts. Uh, keep us focused on you. Uh, but what you're really thinking is, I wish my husband were a little more into this and, and a little more you know focused on helping me get the kids ready in the morning and then maybe we wouldn't be late. And uh, And the kids are thinking – <sighs> you know, and, and, and you know, dad is thinking I, I'd rather be somewhere else and, and, and why is it such a big rigmarole in the morning and he's thinking about his job and, and the wife is thinking about well, how are we ever going to pay this this month and, and we keep talking about a 529 plan for the kids but then you're like but wait a minute I'm in church i got to shut all that stuff out when in fact that's exactly what God wants to know about right? Almighty God unto whom all hearts are open all desires known and from whom no secrets are hid God is less interested in you focusing than for you putting your life out there and saying, take it, right? Take my life and let it be because I'm tired. Take it. Right? God is more interested in you than you ever thought possible. And especially the things that you think God is not interested in. um, Every once in a while, I'll have somebody uh, make an appointment with me that wants to talk about what they see as the deep issues of life. And one day, a guy came in, and he wanted to talk about whether or not this, the narrative from Genesis was a literal six-day creation. And so we're talking about all this stuff, and, and we're talking about it. Like, and, and, uh, and he was sort of taken back. where I said, you know, you can be a Christian and not believe that it's a literal thing. And he said, but still. And finally, I said, is this what wakes you up in the middle of the night? Do you, do you wake up in the middle of the night and say... Six days! You know? um, <laughs> what wakes you up in the middle of the night? That's actually what God cares about, and that uh, is the stuff that God wants to deal with with you. We know what wakes us up in the middle of the night. right? And, and that is the heart of the matter, and that's exactly where God goes and what he is interested in. And that is what the Advent is interested in. And so, you can get on the website, and there's a, a wonderful, I thought it was funny, I got handed this, and there's one crossed out, and I started laughing, I think that, you know, like, we used to minister to you, and now we don't. Um, I won't tell you which one it is. Um, Frank Limehouse Golf Ministry. So, um, but if you look at these things, it's, you know, you, you look at them, it's like, well, what in the world, what in the world is that about? But one of the things that we're moving toward at the Advent is is a holistic approach to mission In outreach. Of course, we're still going to do the human needs stuff. Of course, we're going to do the one off things. Uh, But what if we looked at an area of the world or an area of Birmingham and said, we're actually going to plant right here? Meaning that, yes, we'll go in and do mission work, but let's just use a village anywhere, anywhere in the world. It, It could be Selma if you wanted it to be. You go and you say, okay, what we're going to do is we're not just going to go down and spend a week doing vacation Bible school in this village in the Dominican Republic. But what if we actually adopted this village? So yeah, we'll do VBS, we'll do prayer ministry, we'll do some uh, out, outreach evangelism type stuff. Uh, but what if we, um, what if we also did two medical missions a year? Because right? if you do one, that doesn't, that's not helpful uh, because they've got to keep up on their medication, so at a minimum you need to. Uh, what if we're going to do that? What if, you know, one of the problems they have in this village is crime and police training. What if we got somebody in the congregation who's had a background in police work, what if we went down and, and did that? Well, you know what else? They need some teacher training. What if we got some administrators and some teachers to go down and, and help with that training? Uh, well, you know what? We, we, we don't even we don't have uh, a school. What if, we, what if we build a school? begin to try to raise up people like Elizabeth Elliot to go down uh, and, and have a commitment and, and teach that school. Uh, we well, you know, one of the things that, that isn't provided, you know, we don't uh, uh, and, and to partner with that church uh, to, to actually begin uh, to pour ourselves, because of the love of Jesus, into the whole life uh, of a village. right? And that's when you begin to see uh, lives changed. One of the things that you see in the early church in the book of Acts, now let me say this, a lot of people will say, I I would, why can't we just get back to the early church and like in the book of Acts you can have it right Ananias and Sapphira all yours right get struck down dead because they lied about their tithe um, people would start falling over left and right around the advent I'm sure and elsewhere in Christendom <laughs> uh, but you know it, you know, the early church wasn't um, sunshine and lollipops but one of the things that you did see is that the world was provoked to jealousy because of how they loved one another. Now that that's an interesting comment because clearly they they weren't you know, they weren't perfect. I mean, read Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. They had some major major issues, right? That were not very lovely and they weren't very loving. Like nobody says, "I love you." I'm going to sue you, right? Uh, and that's what they were doing in Corinth. Uh, so, uh, but there is a sense in which Christians. Were different uh, because they actually they, they cared for one another in a way that the world had never seen, right? and and so they actually took care of the widows uh, and the orphans. In the ancient world, they could care less about widows and orphans, right? It, it was sort of a, a Darwinism, and even today in the world that we have, uh, you know, there there's, especially in Nordic countries some of these euthanasia bills uh, coming out, basically saying if you're old, we're gonna we're gonna pull the plug on you. Um, so um, I expect to have a large congregation of elderly Swedish people anytime soon. Um, uh, but but in a world that says, you know, uh, you're done, uh, Christians were stepping up and saying, uh, we're going to care for you. Uh, one of the practices in the Roman world is if you had an unwanted child, uh, you would leave it outside in the woods to die of exposure. You simply would put it out. And uh, Christians in the early church would go and retrieve those children. Uh, so when Paul talks about the orphans, he's talking about a lot of those. who de- They don't even know who the parents are. They just saw these babies who were left out, whether they were born with a deformity or whether the parent just didn't want them. Um, orphanages, orphanages exist in the world today because of Christians. Um, higher education exists in the world today uh, because of Christians. Um, all the early universities founded by the church uh, initially to train up uh, clergy, uh, but then opening its doors, understanding uh, that knowledge is important. Uh, one of the results of the Reformation, the Renaissance, right? Uh, so the church has contributed through the years to a holistic understanding of what the idea of the church is is and what its responsibility and calling is to the outside world and we take our lead from Jesus. right? We, we do uh, what Jesus uh, told us to do and we don't do it out of obligation, although there are times when I think, Andrew, a Christian, wouldn't behave like that on the road. Back off. That's when I don't put a fish in my car. Bad witness. right? Uh, no way. Uh, no way. Um, but uh, some of the things that we... we uh, that we're definitely doing here at the Advent which you can get online and see are exciting and would love to see you be a part of those things. Uh, but in addition to that one of the things that we're going to start doing is we're going to bring on a curate uh, this summer and that's someone who's recently graduated from seminary. Um, you know uh, the Advent sometimes gets the reputation of being sort of having a fortress mentality of being uh, defensive and I do think that we're an arc of refuge for those uh, who who are not happy uh, in, in their churches in the area and come to the advent for its teaching and preaching. Uh, but it's one thing to sort of be an ark of refuge, but it's another thing to be a fortress. And so one of the things we're gonna do is we're gonna bring a newly graduated seminarian on staff for two years, and the end of two years, we're gonna send them out, whether that's to, to be a rector of a church someplace or to plant a church uh, someplace in order to uh, not replicate like the advent all over the place, but that's kind of the idea, uh, but, uh, but in order to give them some good training. Because, one, when I came out of seminary, it, it's, it's reckless to put a recently graduated seminarian anywhere in the church. Um, one of the most depressing things that was said to me was by Tim Keller, and he said, your first hundred sermons will stink. Um, and I thought, praise the Lord. Um, LAUGHTER I've only preached 60 so far, just kidding. Um, uh, so uh, just uh, to help train them up, but also uh, to send them out. The other thing the Advent has that we sell ourselves short on is a sphere of influence. The Advent is an influential place here in Birmingham and beyond. And even before I came here, I just knew about the Advent. I knew about the Advent. And, and a lot of people look to the Advent for leadership, uh, for help, uh, and, and for encouragement. And uh, I want us to be able to, to heighten that and, and to continue to be a, a part of those things happening uh, that we ought to be uh, a part of. Now this, other, this last point that I'll make about um, the ad, what the Advent is good at and what we'll be doing is uh, when I was in Beaufort, um, there was a particular ministry that, um, that I had and it, it was it, a lot like Frank has a story like this, but uh, people would disparage me from doing it, and that was there was a crowd that hung out down on Bay Street, a pretty sizable crowd who had a peripheral relationship with St. Helena's, and people called them the beautiful people. They called them the beautiful people. They were almost like drones. They just had, you know, they they were lazy. They just kind of, they just went down to the bar and and, and they had a good time and, you know, they, they lived off of the trust fund and uh, they, they lived a life of, of leisure. One of them, you know, was living in this immense home uh, that had been in the family for years and clearly had uh, some means. And I asked him, well, what do you, the first time I met him, well, what do you do for a living? And he said, I'm a beekeeper. I thought, really? <laughs> right? Are you a bee? Like, I mean, what, what are those bees keeping in there? Um, yeah. And I went out and I expected, you know, this immense like apiary with all these hives, and and there were three hives. And he had like this custom Gucci bee suit. It was ridiculous, but um, but I mean, it, it was just sort of a, and um, and people uh, I, and so I just started connecting with with these people, and people looked at me and said they're just frivolous. And furthermore. One one clergyman said, "I don't I don't know that it's even a good idea idea to have them at Saint Helena's because they might rock the boat too much. Uh, they might be a little more liberal uh, than than we are." And I thought, "Well, there's a low doctrine of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, because the thing about it is the way that, that 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 I see it, and this is I mean, the Advent. Whether uh, and again, this is not disparaging. Um, we we have a ministry to that." Demographic, the, the the beautiful people, and we ought not to be ashamed about it or, or be apologetic about it, uh, because uh, Jesus came. Uh, he has Jesus has a predisposition. He is he is biased toward a certain segment of people, and do you know what it is? Sinners, sinners. He doesn't check bank accounts. He doesn't check cars. He doesn't check uh, neighborhoods. Uh, those who are broken and weighed down by sin and know it, those are the people that Jesus has a bias for. And the thing about it is that it was, I thought was so remarkable is here's somebody who actually has some influence, uh, has some means. I mean, what if the Lord got a hold of them? Right? Think about the influence and leadership that they could have. And God started doing that. God started doing that. That guy went on a trip with me to the Dominican Republic to help show them how to keep bees. And now that village is making a fortune selling them to American farmers in the Dominican Republic uh, who need bees to pollinate their crops. Right? So and and all that happened not because of me, except that I went and looked at his bees. Right? I had a, I went out and hung with him at, at Saltus, a bar down on, on, on Bay Street. Um, I actually listened to him. I, I treated him like a human being. And that's what Jesus Jesus totally levels the playing field and he sees us as people. Not just as people, but as individuals who are in need of a savior. And there's, uh, he goes beyond great lengths to meet us. He not just puts himself out there. He goes to Zacchaeus' home, and they just rip him apart over it. How dare you go to Zacchaeus? Do you know what kind of person he is? He hangs out at a bar down on Bay Street, and he's just frivolous. He's he's a non, He's he's troublesome. He doesn't believe the way that we believe. And yet Jesus gets a hold of him, and what happens? Zacchaeus gives back all that he took and more. His life had been changed by God's intervention uh, in his life and so we have a holistic approach uh, to mission and outreach here at the Advent and we have a particular ministry uh, and influence and sphere that I hope that that we continue uh, and that we have a great heart for and like God that we're not discriminators of persons uh, but that we see everybody as they are miserable offenders (laughs) uh, and and show them uh, the love of Christ through word and deed questions, comments, concerns Yes. Talk, Troy. I know you
1: have
0: a lot of voice, <laughs> but. <laughs> you talk about the liturgy of the Advent and sort of the intimidation factor uh, that our church has. Um, thoughts about how, uh, it, as one of ushers, et cetera, it's always a little off putting because you realize as visitors come in, it's, we want to welcome them and greet them warmly. Right. But sometimes the intimidation factor, uh, we worry about how that. Uh, Sends people away, Right. maybe seeking uh, uh, see Christ here. Thoughts about how we make our church uh, easier to, for folks to come right. in, in the door? So I'm thinking about putting a big screen up in the nave. Just kidding, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> no, not nothing like... I mean, in the one sense, that it, it is, it is going to be other because we're worshiping God. Like, if you feel... If you're a non-Christian, you walk in and you think yeah like that's a that's an indicator that actually wait a minute uh, we need to be doing something differently and even the message that that we were, we're uh, that they're hearing through the liturgy through music through the preaching is is other like it's sort of like this is coming from outside of me I may not understand it but this is different uh, so in one sense there's always going to be that barrier but are there ways that we can be more accessible absolutely uh, absolutely and um, and I mean, we can always look look at those ways, but I, I don't think that necessarily tweaking worship or 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 going down that road necessarily achieves that, right? It, it's um, um, because even if I, I mean, there are plenty of churches out there that would that people would say, well, this is just more visitor friendly. I go to, and it's it's actually it's actually not because one of the things I've noticed in a church like that where you're focused up on a screen. Um, like i I actually felt very alone like I felt like it was of course it's between you and God, but there's also a sense of worship like liturgy the work of the people is what that literally means that that it was very much I was looking at the screen but it was like I didn't feel like I was a part of a whole and and that anonymity which my generation loves they love be able to get in someplace and get out like Christian Christianity is not about anonymity Christianity has a lot to do with community whether we like it or not so I mean but yeah um We'll, we'll look at stuff. But some things like, I mean, just we're not, I mean, we have a beautiful building that for some people looks really churchy, but that's because it's a church. Right? <laughs> right, it shouldn't look like an airplane hanger. <laughs> Anybody else? That's a really loaded question, Troy. <laughs> okay. All right, well, let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh You tell us to go and make disciples of all nations, and you tell us to begin right here in Birmingham and beyond. Give us hearts for those who have never heard the gospel, Lord, even those that we feel uncomfortable around. Uh, But, Lord, uh, know that you go before us, and uh, we pray for those to water the seeds which we have planted uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.